They have trusted in Christ and they believe in the gospel. This good news that we're studying. Good news in four letters. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And I hope this is an encouragement to you. I hope you're finding this helpful as we are digging in what it means to, to really believe the gospel. Now, it's important that you understand this reality. Everyone in this room, everybody you know, believes a gospel. And the, can you say it with me yet? The gospel you believe determines... So whatever you think is good and best and right, that's going to that's gonna affect your affections. It's going to drive you. It's going to determine how you make decisions. So the gospel you believe, it determines the life that you live. We're, we're teaching, we're preaching God's gospel, the gospel of God taught in the Bible. And, and, and here's what the gospel is. It's the power of God to save us from the power and punishment of sin so that we have peace with God, peace within peace with others. And there's a lot in that definition. And if you haven't been here, go, go get on our app. Go and get on our website. Go back and listen to these sermons that, that you have missed. They, they have really unpacked that reality, that truth, that statement. Now, what we're doing right now, we're in Galatians and we're talking about experiencing good news. Now, to experience something is to have your head, your hearts and your hands engaged. And so it's not enough that there's a cognitive activity that takes place as I'm preaching. It's to move our hearts, which is to change our lifestyle. And so to today we want to make sure and I'm going to challenge you in the end to, to really see to it that you're embracing the whole idea of experiencing good news. Uh, the reason why we're using Galatians uh, for this particular series is because uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul was writing to this, this section of churches. There were several churches in this region and they were dealing with a false gospel. There are many false gospels. But that region and really the whole first century church was dealing with this false gospel in particular. But what we learn in this, in this study is, is to how to identify false gospels by knowing the true gospel of God. So that, that we will not be taken captive by any false beliefs. But holding to the true gospel of God, we, we know it, we are moved by it, and then we live it. So we're, we're back in... Galatians chapter 3. So if you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go ahead. Go ahead and turn now to Galatians 3. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one in front of you. We're going to be in the New Testament. If you're not familiar where Galatians is, use the table of contents. It's helpful. I use it. And so use it. If you want to use your electronic devices, I am too. That's fine. But let's go to Galatians 3, and God willing, we'll get into chapter 4 as we talk today about experiencing sonship. Sonship. This is a term I learned 20 years ago. I was taking a course in uh, gospel transformation. Many of the things I've been teaching in this series in particular came from that study almost 20 years ago. Uh, and the series, the teaching, uh, it used to be called sonship, but they changed it to gospel transformation. But this whole idea of sonship is, is clearly presented in scripture. See, everyone who repents and believes the gospel, as you're going to see in our text today, it makes us sons of God. And when we see ourselves as God's sons, it changes the way, not only that, that we see God in ourselves, but the way we see our circumstances and so the way we live our lives. Now, I imagine that there are some women and girls in the room that are thinking sonship. Hmm, so I don't have to listen to this sermon. All right, good to know. I, 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 can, I can goof off. No, 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 no. Uh, sonship is a, is a legal term. And, and one of the things I want to encourage you as, as women uh, to understand before the coming of Jesus Christ, although you had 
uh, value. Even though you were made in the image of God, th there was not the honor given to women that, that in Western culture anyway, that women receive. Now look, if you go into some other cultures in the world, what you'll find is that, is that there is a lack of, of honor and respect for women because there's not a biblical worldview that is driving that. Even in our, our Western world that is far from God honoring, there is still a foundation of, of what the Bible has taught. And the reason why women are held with, with such high esteem in our culture is because of Jesus Christ. With the coming of Jesus Christ, there, there was equality that was recognized. There's an equality that, that became real. And so we, we get it because of sonship. So let me give you the definition. All right, I'm going to put this on the screen for you. What is sonship? Sonship was a legal term used in the adoption and inheritance laws of first century Rome. So understand the Apostle Paul is writing as a Roman citizen under, under this law, under these basic understandings. And, and so that's why we're using this term. It's a legal term that was used. The phrase, huiotheu, and that's the Greek word, sons of God, that's a plural there, sons of God, applies to those who derive their nature. So we're born with a sin nature. But when we repent and believe the gospel, we receive Christ's nature. Through the Holy Spirit, we, are, we receive the imputed righteousness of God. We get credit for all that Christ has done as a holy, holy, holy human. All that he did is applied to us. And so we gain a new nature through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And so who derive their nature directly from God and are those uh, whom God makes an heir of his promise. Friends, I've got good news. Sonship, sonship means that no matter your sex, no matter your status, no matter your circumstances, no matter your past, the person who believes the gospel receives all the rights of the firstborn one, Jesus. That's what Romans 8.29 is all about. This is on the screen for you. Romans 8.29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Though God is sovereign, he is beyond time. He works in time for his glory. And so those he foreknew, he predestined and, and he saved us. Why? To, so that we would be conformed to the image of his son, so that we would become like Christ. That's why we take his name, Christians. In order that we might be, look at this, the firstborn among many brothers, so that we would experience sonship, so that we would have the rights as those legal sons under God the Father. So today, we're going to dig into this concept of sonship. We're, we're going to seek to understand how, in what way, and ultimately what happens when we are experiencing sonship. Again, if you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, Evelyn's going to come and read first verses 25 through 29, in, uh, right in the midst of the main section of all that we'll be teaching today. So let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. Again, we're in Galatians 3. Uh, we're going to look at a lot, of, a lot of verses today. She's going to read the middle section uh, that really emphasizes what I've, what I've talked to you already. But now that faith has come, there are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, we are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There are neither Jew nor Greek. There are neither slave nor free. There are no male and female for you are one of Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. 
Amen. Thank you, sweet girl. If you would be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. God has blessed Carrie and, and, and me. We have three children. We have two sons and one daughter. And they all are given the rights of sonship. They have all the benefits of all that Carrie and I can bequeath to them, all that, that we can provide for them. They are equal heirs as our children, those that we love, that we care for and, and are giving care to. As our children, we have a, 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 a special responsibility and a desire for them. This last week, I was talking to one of our children about something I was about to provide for the child and uh, asked for the child's input. And given the sermon and given what the child said, I don't know that I'll ever forget it. Child said, Dad, I know that whatever you provide for me will be what is best for me. In that moment, that child experienced sonship. In that moment, that child trusted me submitted to me and has been and will be blessed by me. That's what we have in God the Father through faith in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have sonship. We can trust him. He takes responsibility for us. He blesses us. He provides for us in as much as we trust him. Sonship it, it, it provides several things, this experience. And so three things I would encourage you to write down and remember. The first one is this. Sonship is experienced through faith. Through faith. Let's go back to verse 23 and keep your scriptures open because we're going to go verse by verse, in some instances, word by word this morning. So uh, stay along for the ride, all right? So verse 23. Now before faith came, before Jesus, it says... We were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Look how Paul, look at the language he uses here. He uh, personifies law as a, as a jailer of guilty, condemned sinners. It's a powerful picture of what the law does. The law, it imprisons us. We were held captive under the law. But faith, now by faith, Paul means this new covenant given to us in Jesus Christ. We explained this in detail last week. If you weren't here, please go back and listen to that sermon. In particular, verse 22, I'll read that for you. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. That's the new covenant. That's the faith that, that, that is being celebrated here. This new covenant faith, it, it changes who we are. It gives us a new reality. And what Paul's saying is that the law did not in any way overshadow or overcome the promise. Those who were saved are saved by faith in Christ alone. Please understand this. Right now, everyone who is saved, we are saved by looking back to the cross, to the incarnation, to the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everyone that was saved in the Old Testament was saved by looking forward to the redemption that was to come. Now look, they didn't understand that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem of a virgin. They didn't have all the details of, of his holy life, of, of Pentecost and all the other things that would come in the church. They didn't know all that. They simply had faith. Faith in the promises that had been revealed. And so they believed God. Look at back in verse six. Look what it said of Abraham. Again, he was saved. How is he saved? Look in verse six, chapter three. 
believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Notice that there's not a preposition there. It does not say he believed in God. What does it say? He believed God. There's a difference between belie believing in God and believing God. The demons of hell believe in God. This is James chapter 2, verse 19. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. To believe in something is to believe that it exists. But to believe someone is to trust them. I believe in the existence of my car. I can, I can pretty much point to it. But I believe my car will provide and get me where I need to go. There's a difference. I can believe in its existence. There's something else altogether to trust my life with it. What God is calling us to do is not to believe in him as the demons of hell do, but to believe him, not believe in him, in his existence, to believe him. Now, during that time, before Jesus entered time and space, look at verse 24, a very important uh, concept I want to show you. It says, the law was our guardian, our guardian. You might want to underline that word. This is, this is, a, this is an interesting, interesting word. It's the uh, uh, pedagogus. And, and this word means, and it denotes a slave that was given responsibility for children. So uh, a a pedagogos would be a slave, and maybe a better term, again, all these terms are accurate and right. Guardian is an excellent term. Some of your translations may say tutor. I like the term disciplinarian because this was a tutor, a slave that was given responsibility for the children, and this was not a pleasant person. This is a person who was harsh and hard and basically would make sure that the children got to school, that they followed uh, the, the rules of the household, that they did their chores. And when they did it, there, there, was a, there was a heavy hand. Before Christ, we were under this guardian, this tutor, this disciplinarian that is the law. And what he's painting here is a picture of this one that was heavy that would make us desire relief. The children that were under those disciplinarian slaves, man, they could not wait to be set free. They couldn't wait for the time when their father, their dad would say, okay, no more of that. You, you've now, you've moved on past that. The harshness of that reality made them desire what was to come. It's like when you're in middle school, man, you can't wait to get to high school. Remember, remember if you're in middle school, hang in there. Hang in there. It's going to be all right. You're going to make it. It's like the awkwardness and, the, and it's just, oh. So then you get to high school and it's cool for a few years, but then senioritis kicks in, which many of our, our uh, seniors are beginning to experience now. It's like, I got to get out of here. I want to go where I can choose my classes and wake up when I want. I mean, a full load, three classes a day, please, Right. And then it's like they get there. It's like, all right, I got to get out of here. I'm ready to work. I'm ready to have my stuff. And I, I, I want to get married. And, and I want to have children. And then you have children. <laughs> and those of you with children, here, I'm going to give you some good news. Good news. If you live long enough, they're going to have to take care of you and you can act a fool. <laughs> you can give them that. You can stay up all night. I can't sleep. Give me a cup of water. Call them in the middle of the night. They're in charge of you. You can, so children, remember that. But what are we doing? We're always kind of looking forward. And so what the law did, 
as, it, as this guardian, it made us long for Christ. And now that Christ has come, our lives are, can be changed by the gospel through faith. Look at verse 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. In Christ, we are no longer under that law. We are no longer under that discipline. We're no, under, no longer under that constant threat. We're free. We're family. I love Ephesians 2.19. I can't wait to unpack this with you in a couple of months. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members. Look at this. Members of the household of God. We have a new, a new life. We have godly freedom. We're no longer under law. We're under the love of Christ and his redemption and his guiding hand. We're now family. We're, we're part of a godly family. We're not slaves. We're sons of God. And now we get to live in this reality. And here's the reality. Second thing to write down and remember. Sonship is experienced in adoption. In adoption. There, there is no distinction among those who repent and believe the gospel. We are all equally God's favorite. And I know that's a paradox. You say, how can we all be God's favorite? Because he's God. He's God. He's not like us. He's not limited. We're all his favorite. Look at verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. It doesn't matter your nationality. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what country you're from. There's neither slave nor free. It doesn't matter your economic status. Don't think of American slave trade when you read slave in the Bible. This is an economic status issue. This is the haves and the have nots. And so it's saying whether you have or whether you have not, whether you're male or female, for you are all one in Christ. Because we are in Christ, look at verse 29, then you, we are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Before saving faith in Jesus Christ, we're all, we're all in the same boat as human beings. We're, we're all orphans. Please understand, anybody who's not been born again into the family of God by grace through faith in Christ alone, they're an orphan. But, but they still have eternal value and dignity because every human being on this planet, every human being conceived from conception until death is sacred. Sacred because human beings, unlike all all other things in creation are made in the Imago Dei, the image of God. I love the way C.S. Lewis says this. Don't forget this. This is so powerful. Let me put it on the screen for you. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortals. That means they're going to pass away. They're going to die. They will end. And their life is, is to ours as the life of a gnat comes and goes. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Please understand, human beings, every single one of us will always be there will never be another time when you don't exist and have self. The, the question is, what kind of self are you? Are you dirty? Are you unhinged? Are you crooked? Are you separated from God? Or have you 
been made right with God? Have you been made holy? Have you been made righteous? Have you been made a child of God? Have you been filled with love? Have you become this beauty that is Christ? We all choose. Now we're all made in God's image, so we all have value, but we are born slaves to the demands of the law. Look at chapter four, verse one. I mean that as the heir, as as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date is set by his father. And so, as I've said, until Christ came into the world, we were all under the, the guardian, that disciplinarian, that law. But, but once the son came, once Christ came, everything changed. Once the father determined the time, so we were free in the same way we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Before we come to Christ, we're under the law. We're under the natural way of humanity. And, and what that means at a, at a real practical, personal level is this. The only way, apart from Christ, you can seek to have meaning and you will have meaning is through your success, through what other people say to you and what you can own. And that's bad news. Those are false gospels. Because I'm going to tell you, you're not going to keep what you own. You're not gonna keep that job. And what people think of you, you will be forgotten. We all sing simple minds. Don't you forget about me, children of the 80s. But we will all be forgotten. There's only one enduring living hope. There's only one true gospel. And that's Jesus Christ. Without him, we're, we're always in desperation. We're always miserable. That's why Western society is so sick right now. That's why there's, there's so much depression and there's so much darkness is because we have wandered away from this wonderful good news gospel that once permeated our culture. I'm not saying that it was a, it was a good culture, it was a right culture, but there was, uh, there was a proclamation. And now it is, it, is, it is almost treated as the enemy to our society. But, but what we have in that is a blessing. And what we can enjoy in that is what God can do. And apart from what God can do, we've got to do on our own. And what God is willing to do. Look in verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Some of your versions, I like it in the NIV, at just the right time. Just when God decided. Christ came into the world to redeem those who were under the law. Now here's the big one so that we might receive, underline this, adoption as sons. Adoption as sons. We receive sonship. We are adopted into the family. He takes full responsibility for us. He says he will take care of us, that he will guide us. Typically, at least once a year, sometimes more, I find myself in a courtroom with one of our families who is adopting a child. And every time before I go into that courtroom, I give myself a pep talk and I tell myself the same thing. Don't cry. This is not about you. Put the tears away. Just celebrate. And then I go in there and I snotty, ugly cry. <laughs> and, and here's where it gets to me. All right, I'm gonna put this on the screen for you. Almost every adoption that I've seen here in, in Bowling Green, as, as, the, as the hearing is coming to an end, the judge will often ask, are you prepared to rear and educate this child as your own? 
And they say, yes, your honor. And then the judge says, do you understand that once adopted, this child will have all the same inheritance rights as any child born to you? And they say, yes, your honor. And this is one that gets the tears. The judge says, do you love this child? And the parents say, yes, your honor. And then he says, do you believe it would be in the child's best interest for you to adopt this child? And they say, yes, your honor. This is what God says yes to about us. In his triune nature, the Father says to the Son and the Spirit, the Son says to the Spirit and the Father, and the Spirit says to the Father and Son, yes. Yes, I will provide for this one. Yes, I love this one. Yes, I will give all of the full inheritance to this one. Sonship will be theirs. He provides for us. We sang this earlier. You have chosen me. Love has called my name. I've been born again into your family. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. This is our identity in Christ. We have been redefined by faith in Jesus. And that's the third thing to write down and remember. Sonship is experienced by redefinition. Redefinition. I'm going to read this verses six and seven. I'm going to take it apart. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. All who are in Christ are sons of God. Now we have a new identity. We are spirit-filled. God has sent his spirit and given us new life so that we believe. We are now filled with the Holy Spirit. We're sealed until the day of judgment. We have, we have his son in our hearts and we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, what, what's that? What, Abba, what does that mean? Uh, the Hebrew word for uh, father is Av. And so what would a baby do? Abba, 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 Abba. It's just like children today. Ladies, it's not because they like us better. It's just easier to say, da, 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 da. We, we can cry. I mean, think about this. To the maker and sustainer, of the universe that you can't comprehend or see, you are able to cry out, Daddy, help. Daddy, help me. So we're no longer slaves. And we are now heirs. And even when we blow it, that does not change. That will never change. I can't wait to get to 2025. I know we shouldn't rush life. But in 2025, I'm going to walk us through the parables of Jesus. And in Luke chapter 15, I haven't figured it out yet. You need to pray. I don't know how we're not going to spend 10 years in Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus shares three powerful parables. The third one of what, what our Bibles, your Bible will call probably call it, the prodigal son is probably better defined as the prodigal God, the outrageous God. You would do well to read that story and maybe do it today. And what you'll find in the story is, is a son who says, Dad, I wish you were dead. I don't want to live under you. I don't want to trust you. I don't want to depend on you. Give me, give me the stuff that I would get if you were dead and I'm going to go my way. And the father says, take it. He gave him his inheritance and he went and squandered it. 
So much so that he didn't have anything left. He was working in a pig pen and, and, and sickly. And he thought, you know what? I'm going to go back. But I know I can't go back as a son. I'm going to go back and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to submit myself. And I'm going to say, Dad, uh, or, or, or Sir, I know I can't be your son anymore. But can I be your slave? So at least I can make a living for myself. So he goes back. And it says that when his father saw him, he ran to him. He was looking for him to come home. And humiliated himself. The men didn't run. You don't run. And you certainly don't run after a son that's wasted all your stuff and embarrassed your family. And he gives him a, the, the cloak of covering. He gives him the signet ring so he can do business. He gives him shoes so he can have access to the home. He says, you're not my slave, boy. You're my son. And nothing will ever change that. And this is what God says to us. Some of you have run from God. And here's what God says to you. I've not stopped loving you. God will never stop loving you. No matter how far you run, no matter what kind of dirtiness you get into, he loves you. He will never stop loving you. And you have the complete freedom to say, Daddy, help. Daddy, I don't want to be this person. Daddy, I don't, I don't want to live like this anymore. Daddy, help. And he will forgive you. And he will continue to love you. And he will provide for you just as he promised and said that he would. People living in the world without God as father, without sonship, they feel very weak and vulnerable. That's why they, that's why they have to get as much stuff as they can and why they have to present themselves as so powerful because they feel so weak. It takes, com it takes confidence to be meek. That's why they're blessed. People without sonship, they feel like they can't be truly loved unless they've earned it. So they, they all the time, they all the time wonder, does anybody love me? What am I going to do? There's a constant fear. They feel defeated and they feel judged and they, 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 let me just tell you, friends, those of you who feel judged, let me just give you, maybe you are, I, I don't know, but I, here's what has been my experience in life. Most people are too worried about themselves to be worried about you. And if they're judging you, it, it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with them because they are un, so insecure and scared that tearing you down is the only way they could possibly feel good about themselves because they are so empty and so lonely and so feeling unloved and uncared for that, that they, they, they're just miserable. And that's what it is to be without God as your father. And that is what some of you are. And that's what some of you have left. That's what you've run from. But you are loved. You are never a bother to our Father. And anytime you're ready to come back, and anytime you want to talk to Him, and anytime you need Him, He's there. I, re I remember um, one of our dads that had adopted a boy, and he was really struggling because the boy would not would not receive his his, his fatherhood. 
I'll never forget he called and he said, there's been a change. He called me dad and he asked for help. And their relationship was never the same again. Years later, I see him and I smile. I says, is he still calling you dad? Yeah. Is he still asking you for help? And he smiles. Yeah. You are never a bother to our father who is in heaven. He's not mad and disappointed with you. He loves you. He wants more for you than you can ever hope or imagine. He's not disappointed with you. He's disappointed with what's happening in you because he wants so much more for you. He wants you to feel loved. He wants you to be confident. He wants you to see you as he sees you, as a blood-bought, eternally valued person. He wants you to feel his love every day. And he wants you to live your life in the confidence of, of his love and in his provision so that you can say, if he withholds it, it wasn't necessary. And if it was given or allowed, it was needed. So that in any case, you can trust him. So let me, let me pause here for a second before we go. Do you understand this? I know I've been snotty and crying and spitting and everything, but I mean, it's not a bad sermon. I mean, it's, I mean, it's pretty clear. I mean, you know, despite me, you, you get it. Okay, now, do you get it here? Do you get how loved you are? Do you get how much you matter to God? Do you get, you, if you've been running from him, you can come to him today, right now. There's going to be people up here at the front. You can, you can come to him today. So did you get it here? Are you getting it here? And is it going to show up here in your hands in the way you go and live your life this afternoon and this week? Is this your good news? Is this your gospel? See, the gospel you believe, say it out loud with me, the gospel you believe determines the life that you live. Live in the good news of God and the sonship he provides. Let's stand together. Uh, caregivers, come forward. Oh, Father, I pray for some who are here today who've never been born again, who've never repented of their sin, who've never come to you and asked for forgiveness and become sons of God. And I pray today is the day of their salvation. Lord, I pray for some of those who have experienced sonship, but they've not been thinking it and they've not been feeling it and they sure haven't been living it. And I pray today they will just run to you and realize that you're running to them. You're crying out to them. You're reaching out to them. You're calling them asking them to come to you, get on their knees and to ask you to be renewed in that relationship. You've never stopped loving them. They've not stopped being saved. They've just stopped enjoying the blessing of being under your leadership. Father, for all of us who need help, I know there's some that need to come and hear the front and ask for help, come and talk to these counselors or meet with some of us out in the hallway or in the lobby about, about what this looks like in their life. God, meet us where we are. You always do. And here it says we praise in Jesus' name, amen.